The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. R. Scott Clark. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Almighty God, be with us this morning as we meditate on your word as we contemplate your goodness to us in Jesus Christ, and particularly this morning as we think about your wisdom, the wisdom that you have displayed uh, in history, in your word, in your Son, and toward us. O Lord, grant us grace to see wisdom for what it is and to pursue it and to repudiate foolishness. Forgive us our natural inclination and those uncoerced choices that we make, O Lord, even even though you have been gracious to us, to choose foolishness over wisdom. Work in us a love for wisdom and for the wisdom. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. So I'd like to look with you this morning at a couple of passages in... Colossians, Colossians 2, and then Colossians 3. And I want to read Colossians 2, 16 to the end of the chapter, and then we'll look briefly at a couple of verses in Colossians 3. Colossians 2.16 to the end of the chapter. This is from the English Standard Version. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. One of the basic structures of wisdom literature is the distinction of two ways And Paul here, and then we'll see later in chapter 3, uses this two-way wisdom structure to distinguish between two ways of relating to the Lord. A divinely ordained way of relating to the Lord in piety and then of practicing the faith and a man-made way. And then uh, within that is also uh, the problem of typology and and shadows, things that have passed away. 
Well, the first thing I want to say is that, and, and I think you know this, uh, when we think of wisdom literature, of course, we're thinking chiefly of places in the, in the Hebrew Bible, right? Uh, particularly of Proverbs, but other places, Job. But the wisdom uh, themes established and structures established in the wisdom literature exist throughout Scripture. And as I was thinking about what to do for chapel, I was struck uh, as I just was uh, doing some searching and looking around at how often Sophia occurs in Paul and particularly in Colossians in contrast to man-made uh, wisdom and, and uh, also in contrast to types and shadows. And of course, uh, when I saw that uh, he invokes wisdom relative to worship, versus types and shadows and man-made ideas in, in chapter two and then contrast it in uh, chapter three with a divinely approved pattern, I could hardly resist the opportunity to talk with you about it. So we know, of course, uh, that James is uh, heavily influenced by the wisdom literature. Hebrews makes use of these kinds of themes, these two-way, this two-way structure. Our Lord himself does this, as you know, and then, as I'm saying, it exists in Paul. Um, in, in, in more frequently than we might uh, expect. And in Colossians uh, chapters two and three, Paul contrasts apparent wisdom with genuine wisdom. So it is a function of wisdom to be able to distinguish between apparent wisdom and real wisdom. Real wisdom is not always obvious. Apparent wisdom is, uh, is easy. I, uh, I pastored a small congregation uh, for six years in Kansas City. Uh, we met in a service station, in a converted service station. Uh, we were 40 people when I came. We were 40 people when I left. We were different 40 people, but it was 40 people. We had a budget of $40,000, uh, most of $8,000 of which went to um, the mortgage uh, my first year, 22,000 of which went to me without benefits, and then we had a little, what, le what, left, what was left was for, you know, things like utilities, extravagances, <laughs> like electricity and, and things. And then if there was a little bit left over, we would do some, some advertising, um, but not much. So uh, when, uh, th this was right at the height, I suppose, of the church growth movement, and I used to get all this literature. People would send me stuff. And here I am pastoring 40 people. And the, the synod sent me to Kansas City basically with the stated, sometimes, but unstated uh, imperative, grow the church. I was just out of seminary, lots of ideas, lots of energy. I, I often wonder where, where all of that went. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we did all kinds of things. We, I knocked on doors, um, handed out flyers. We mailed out 400 uh, newsletters every month. We did a, a, a cassette recording, which is, I'll explain that later. This is old-fashioned <laughs> technology, and you could call up a number, 454-1196, today's good news, a little line in the classifieds, which I'll explain that too later. And uh, people would see this number, and they would call it up, and then they would get a little message, and then they could leave their name, and we would send them things. Or We made cassette recordings, evangelistic cassette recordings. I, I am an authorized evangelism explosion trainer. Uh, went down to Dell City, Oklahoma, and studied evangelism explosion, knocked on doors, almost every door in the area around the 
church, stood in parking lots, handed out flyers, got thrown out of parking lots for handing out flyers. Don't put flyers on car windows. So that turns out that's a bad idea. People don't like that. Anyway, so we did a lot of things uh, to try to grow the church, and, and then the literature would come in, and they would say, we have a plan for you. If you'll just follow this plan, you can grow your church. And one of them was the phones for you. You set up a, 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 a boiler room in your basement or whatever they call it, a hot, a hot house, and you make a lot of phone calls. And we sort of tried it, not really, and it didn't, of course, it didn't work. It, why do I tell you that? Because the, the attraction of doing things that seemed to be wise was almost overwhelming. It had apparent wisdom. Look at, look, the, I used to say to the Lord, Lord, you send people to the Pentecostals across the street and you don't send anybody here. How, why is that? We are standing in the pulpit week after week preaching the truth and you send people to those Pentecostals over there. Why is that? They must know something we don't know. They must. And so the, 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 I want you to understand that I, when I tell you about the apparent, the, the power of apparent wisdom, I understand. I had a guy take me out to lunch, a dear friend, very powerful, influential member of the media, the local media. And he said to me, he took me up to a, he took me to a nice place, took me up and showed me all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, <laughs> I, can, I can fill your church. Uh, you'll need a new building. All you have to do is say the word. So I, I, when I tell you, I understand what, it, what, what apparent wisdom looks like and, and how desperately we wanted that place to grow. How desperately I wanted that place to grow. If you just sing these songs, if you'll just do these things, if you'll just structure your service this way, if you'll just present yourself this way, you go to a class this meeting, they say, well, how are you doing? Well, what they're really asking is, how many people are attending? Well, about 40. Go to another class this meeting, how are you doing? Well, about 40. <laughs> go to another class this meeting, how are you doing? Well, about 40. Well, why are, we, why are we sending money to your church? Nothing's happening, you're not growing. Well, maybe, maybe this stuff that I'm getting in the mail, maybe it has, maybe there's something to it. If with Christ you died to the stoicheia, right, to Cosmu, why are you still, why is it uh, you're still alive to the world? Do you submit to its regulations? Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. All these things are perishing according to human precepts. The, the, the commandments, literally the commandments and teachings of men is what Paul says. Commandments and teaching, and, and the, the section here in Colossians is dealing with Judaizers who had synthesized, most likely Judaizers, it's difficult, but most likely some kind of Judaizing impulse who had synthesized various aspects of, of Greek philosophy. And so it's pretty clear when Paul invokes the shadow, skia here, he's invoking the same category as we find in Hebrews, right? And it's not, not creation, the the stoicheia that he's talking about here is almost certainly not physics, right? This is a, a way of talking about some kind of a law. And the Colossians were in danger of being deluded by a philosophy, a vain deceit, a human tradition that was attempting to lead them away from Christ under the guise 
under the guise of a kind of false wisdom, an apparent wisdom, but not real wisdom. And so Paul responds by pointing to Christ's headship over all things. These Greek-influenced Judaizers were making a, a big deal about circumcision, a big deal about washing hands, a big deal about, a, about not touching, not tasting, not handling, and about the types and the shadows. They said, really, if you, if you want to be truly wise in the ways of the Lord, you need to follow the, the you need to go back to the types and shadows. And in that way, there are some real echoes here uh, with Hebrews. And in 23, he says, these, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. Now, that doesn't have a lot to do with, with church growth, but Lent does. We're in Lenten season. How many of you are observing Lent? Don't raise your hand. Where did the Lord authorize Lent? And it's not because I'm a bigot against uh, Romanism or the medieval church. I have a deep appreciation for the medieval church in some respects. But Lent is a perfect example of ways of trying to make the church relevant, and yet it's, it's exactly what Paul says, don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. Who authorized that? It has the appearance of wisdom, and the, and the world thinks it's terrific. Right? Who gets made fun of for, for taking a selfie of the ashes on their forehead on Ash Wednesday? Nobody. Everyone says, wow, that's real religious devotion. That's really awesome. I'm glad that works for you. It has the appearance of wisdom, but it's man-made. It's a perfect example of going back to types and shadows. These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religions, the ESV. The old translation was will worship. Will worship, the essence of will worship is deciding to do things in the service of the Lord that are not authorized, but that I like. And Paul has absolutely no time for this. He's ruthlessly critical of will worship. And if you look just in chapter three, immediately look at the contrast. If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, not man-made worship, not will worship, not false asceticism, not self-false self-denial, not types and shadows, but the actual incarnate reality of wisdom at the right hand of God. And all through Colossians to this point and, and, and after, Paul is pushing them to, to distinguish between true wisdom as in Colossians 1.9, we are to uh, serve God in all uh, new, uh, spiritual, right, pneumatic wisdom and understanding. In 128, he distinguishes between, again, false teaching and uh, wisdom. Paul's warning everyone and teaching everyone in all Sophia, all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature. Man-made religion doesn't lead to maturity. It doesn't lead to Christ. It doesn't lead to the head. It leads to self. It doesn't lead to Christ. It leads to shadows. It leads to human opinion. It leads ultimately to bondage. Paul's goal is true wisdom, which is in Christ, which leads to true maturity, which is in Christ. And you see this if you just start at the beginning of chapter 2, and if we had time, we would go through this in more detail. 
But he sets up this contrast, the difference between being knit together in love, right? In the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now look at the, look at 2.3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge is in Christ, not in will worship, man-made self-denial of which people approve. People can't actually see true wisdom because it's in Christ and he's at the right hand of the Father. True wisdom is only by grace alone, through faith alone. It's not something that you can generate in yourselves. It's not something you can program. This is the connection with the church growth stuff. It's not a program you can institute and if you, if you do everything just the right way and turn the handle that you'll get some assured results. Well, the Christian faith is a mystery that's grounded in the ascended Christ and in his mysterious working in the world through the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel and the foolishness of sacraments. No church guru, church growth guru is ever going to tell you that preaching Christ crucified, that's the first step to growing your church. Or distributing bread and wine and announcing that through these foolish elements that God the Son uh, who's sitting at the right hand through his powerful Holy Spirit is feeding those who believe on his true body and true blood. You can't see that. You can't program that. You can't package that. You can't sell that. You can't reproduce that, not in the way that, that we're led to think. This, this really gets us back to John 3. The, the Holy Spirit blows where he wills. You don't know where he comes from. You don't know where he goes. You can't program him. You can't capture him. You can't control him. Jesus' way of doing church is completely counterintuitive. There's two kinds of, two paths, right? True wisdom and foolishness. And foolishness always looks better. It's always more popular. It's always more saleable. It's always more marketable. And it's never Jesus' way. We know that because they arrested him and they crucified him because he is wisdom and they weren't having any of it. He didn't fit their paradigm. It was great when he came in with a donkey and this is it, the palms. All right, here we go. Until he disappointed them. Until he disappointed them. Well, as it always happens in chapel time, gets away. From us, and so just very, very quickly, look at look, look at the contrast. Look at uh, Colossians three sixteen. Right? He's he's uh, talked about the again two ways: the old way in which we used to live. We put all that away, but in, in the verses from say six to eleven, we put all that away, and then verses twelve and following of chapter three, we we put on this new way that really is an outflow of the wisdom of Christ. Look at verse 14, and above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Look at this, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And, and how do we do that? Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. 
If you look, there's a context for this, and I don't have, obviously don't have time to go through this in detail, but if you look in the Septuagint, there are four classifications of songs. One of them is psalms, one of them is hymns, one of them is odes, and there's a fourth one, and this is what's so interesting, it's sunesis, understanding, wisdom. There's a wise way of relating to God in piety and worship and practice. Wisdom is, is practical, it has practical consequences. How do we learn wisdom? How do we grow in wisdom? How do we become wise? We fill our lives and our worship services not with the ideas of men, human opinions, not with types and shadows, but with Christ's word. And he operates through that word to accomplish his glorious purposes. God, may God grant us wisdom to trust him, to do things the way he's authorized them, and let us trust him for the outcome of these things rather than trying to, to outsmart the Lord and do things that seem clever but that really are foolish. Let's pray. Father, grant us grace to do these things. Bless us, O Lord, as we seek to serve you. Uh, forgive us, Lord, for when we've given in to foolishness and make use of your poor, miserable servants to accomplish your great and glorious and uh, sometimes hard-to-see purposes in this world. Hear our prayer, Lord, and expand your kingdom even through us for Jesus' sake. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.